Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. Uh, you have to think of yourself now as an entrepreneur. Uh, you're your own marketer, your own producer, your own writer, your own performer, uh, your own grip, editor, etc. You uh, are the network that you used to try to get behind you. Like, uh, there's nothing really to get anymore. There's only something to build. Um, the internet, uh, even the streaming services, yeah, bang. Hot breath. What's goody, Hot breath verse? Welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, and we at Hot Breath are on a mission to cultivate the next generation of great comics by interviewing today's great comics like our guest on today's episode. So if this is your first time tuning in, you have over 300 interviews with other comics like Andrew Schultz and Mark Normand and Nate Bargatze and so many more, all discussing the craft of comedy in ways you can't hear anywhere else. Actually, the past three weeks, we have done a very special Hot Breath Pro Talk series where we brought in the most popular comedy authors in the industry to join us in our Hot Breath Pro Comedian Incubator to answer members' questions, give them joke feedback, and just help them level up. So if Hot Breath Pro sounds like something that would help your comedy game, click the link in the description of this video to learn more about how you can join us over there. And now it's time for today's podcast, as there is only one thing left to do. And that is inhale a hot breath with Giannis Pappas. And the pro we are learning from today. He's been in the game over 20 years. And despite coming from a family of lawyers, being struck by lightning, shot, had his head busted open by a baseball bat, all those fun things, his comedy journey has really taken him from being a personal assistant to a social worker. I mean, what this guy has created is a brick-by-brick, self-made career. And that is exactly what we aspire to create here at Hot Breath, our DIY comedians, self-made comedians. So this guy has the blueprint, and we are so excited and honored to bring to the Hot breath verse the one and only... Mr. Giannis Pappas, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for Giannis. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hello. I look like a grizzled vet right now. Hair all <laughs> messed up. Gray in my beard. I look like Bull Durham. I don't know if you know the movie. Do you know the movie? Because you're know 12, movie. right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know the movie. You're not dating yourself oh. that much. Yeah. So I'm, uh, yeah, I've been in the game for a long time. It's been a jagged path. Um, didn't. You know, I'm not the I'm not the comic uh, like most comics who started and then never stopped. Like once they started, they just, you know, I started, stopped, started, stopped. So it, it's been a jagged pass. Oh, how many? I know you stopped once for two years. How, how many times do you actually quit? I would say I fully quit from I started in around 2000. I uh, fully quit from about 2000 to 2005, like two and a half years. Um, and then I kind of did it off and off and on until I went full in 2008. I went, that's when I started really, uh, 
devoting myself to it. Quit my job, lived off my girlfriend, which, by the way, if a lot of young comics are watching this, they say, what's what's one of the big pieces of advice you can give me? One of is get a girlfriend with a job and have no shame in having her pay for you. Hey, okay, you got to make some you can't make omelets without breaking a few eggs. (laughs) She is the soldiers that you have to sacrifice for the saving private Ryan, which is your career. How bad did it get, like, having to, like, live off of someone you're dating? Like, did it get kind of dicey? Like, Giannis, what are you doing here? Yeah, no, she could sense it. Uh, we lived in a rent control apartment that my friend grew up in. I, I'm from Park Slope, Brooklyn. So when Park Slope got gentrified, 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 when it got gentrified, yeah, my, my buddy lived in what used to be a bad area, Park Slope. He moved out. So me and my other buddy renovated his house by ourselves. So what didn't look too renovated. And we lived in that rent control apartment for eight years. We used to hide from the landlord when he would knock because he, <laughs> you know, he, he suspected that my friend wasn't living there whose family was in his name. And um, so she moved in with us, my ex-girlfriend, it was me, my ex-girlfriend, a roommate. And I think all of our rent was $300 in Park Slope, Brooklyn when that apartment on the free market would have went for about 2,500. Oh my gosh. So find a way guys, find a way. That's the great thing about comedy is like, you got to really pave your own road. You can't look at anyone else's road too much and figure it out that way. You have to kind of pave your own. It's like driving at night, you know, with the headlights on, you can only see so far ahead of you. Yeah. And something I've heard you say is that like the internet and how it really is like the greatest thing to happen to independent artists. And you've embraced it since like ditch film. Like you've been creating your own content for a long time now. Like one of, one of the questions uh, one of our comics here asked from a uh, Mitt Wolf is like, you know, there's when we asked Mark Norman about being a comedian, he's like, there's so many other things. And he's like social media and branding and all of this. Like, how how can comedians how should comedians be leveraging the internet to start really creating their own path? Yeah, you have to think of yourself. Uh, you have to think of yourself now as an entrepreneur. Uh, you're your own marketer, your own producer, your own writer, your own performer, uh, your own grip editor, etc. You uh, are the network that you used to try to get behind you. Like, uh, there's nothing really to get anymore. There's only something to build. Um, the internet, uh, even the streaming services, yeah, bang. <laughs> even the streaming services are internet. People are like, oh, but Netflix is still big. It's like Netflix is the internet. So the old Hollywood model is gone. You even see Schultz got a show on Netflix after doing his own thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, your YouTube channel, your Patreon, your your podcasts, your skits, whatever it is, your memes, whatever you're doing, stand up is just one of the things you do now. Um, just be funny on whatever platform it is, even if it's on Clubhouse before it before it completely collapses. Just be funny. Like it's not about like oh man, you know, like that East Coast thing. Like I'm gonna sit in the back and watch a talent. I want to be just like that. It's like that's only one aspect of what we do now, and um, it's not the most important one. That's just the truth. You're you've really embraced it and you're churning out a lot. Like, do you do you have a a system, a schedule, a team behind this? Like you got a lot of output you're doing here. Yeah. um, You know, uh, I have uh, two guys that work for me. One is my producer, Jesse, who uh, was my partner in Ditch Films when we did that. Ditch Films was, 
yeah, we were really early to the game before Schultz, before Tim, before yeah. before Rogan even's podcast. Yeah, take that, um, you know, Rogan. It, yeah, take that. In like the late two thousands, uh, me and Jesse formed a production company called Ditch. We were doing like user generated branded content for companies like Foot Locker. We were doing videos and sketches, and I had a few characters that really got popular and. I started selling tickets, but it was really before the internet was kind of fully monetized. You could only really cash in uh, by doing the shows live. And I mm -hmm. did. Um, but now, obviously, the internet is completely fully monetized. And a great person to look to is, is Tim Dillon or Schultz. And how, you know, you can you can see what Tim is making now. I I'll go so far as to say I don't even think it's possible to make that money in TV unless you're a massive name on a massive hit and good luck with going for that. I mean, that's like three or four people who are going to get lucky and get that. So there you go. Look at the money Tim's making. And if you don't know what that is, it's a lot of money and it's all, all due to his podcast. It's all because of his podcast. So those are the guys to look up to now. Schultz, Rogan, uh, you know, uh, Tim, Tiger Belly, all, you know, Bobby Lee, all the guys that are doing that. And even some of the YouTube guys and meme guys and, you know, the, the, you know, even Tank Sinatra. I mean, those guys are making a living. So if your goal is to make it in entertainment, that's what you have to really consider nowadays. And you guys know that. I mean, this is all young kids know that better than old kids. Hmm. But it's actually doing it. I mean, you know, we're like, oh, OK, yeah, I need to be online a lot. I need to be posting sketches. I need voices or characters. But then it's like, I mean, even me, you know, I'm 11 years in and Last year, I released my own comedy special. I was booked on a tour. Like, I was going to be a touring headliner. And then COVID hits. And I was like, I guess I got to do social media. And then now, now, like, half the time, I'm just looking at my phone like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> like what am I going to do right now, you know? Well, yeah, I, a, new, a new job has emerged in the field of comedy. And that's the, that's the, uh, the tech guy. The, the guy, you got to get yourself a guy who, uh, a guy who can edit or you become that guy and all that stuff, but you need a camera guy. You need, you need, uh, you know, there's, and there's a lot of people out there who are terrible at comedy. Um, some of you aren't sociopaths and have a little self-awareness. I recommend to you guys, you have a little epiphany and you say, Hey, I'm not funny at all. I love comedy. Uh, I'm lucky enough to live in this era where, you know what, let me learn how to do all that other shit and let me join someone who is funny and will become a team and make content. Well, who was the other guy on your team? You said you had the producer and who's the other person? Uh, yeah. And then I got, I got, uh, I got my boy Drew. Um, and he, uh, you know, he has aspirations to become a comedian. I, good luck with that. He, you know, I hope he does that, but he also knows how to do all the tech stuff. So He's sort of uh, our intern now that uh, works with us. So there's two of them. Jesse's my, my producer and Drew is the intern. And it's those two guys. You know, they bang everything out. They make the clips. They, they record the podcast. They produce it. They direct it. I sit down and I just fucking yell like a madman. That's my job is to, to try to tell jokes to feed my daughter's face. So you, your role so is my, just entertainer. What the team's role? One guy is like the video and editor. Like as a producer, I'm what what I'm really asking is like, okay, if I want to start taking this more seriously and actually be proactive and getting momentum in this like online space, like what what do I need? You know, like who do I need doing what type deal? Because I can be funny and I I can you know I'm I can work hard, but it's like what do I need in place? I guess. 
Yeah, you need a studio for your podcast. You need a green screen. Start doing sketches. You need a shooter, somebody who can shoot, somebody who can edit. Uh, you're going to have to start considering, you know, uh, hiring people on an ad hoc basis to create your flyers, art designers, things like that. That used to really be difficult. There's a lot of people who that know how to do it now. They're all online. Uh, once they start becoming a fan of your podcast, they reach out to you or you can see them uh, doing the work on someone else's podcast. You reach out to them like this kid who makes all the signs for the podcast. Uh, I think his name is Munz, Ted Munz. Uh, he's a kid who lives in Vancouver. And I know when we made the History Hyena sign, I found him because he had done a few other signs. And now he's doing like everyone's signs and he does them with tile and he lights the back and they're amazing. And so, you know, people are really making their sets look high tech now they're making them look really good like real sets because there's real money in it i mean advertisers now are seeing the numbers on podcasts and that those numbers are getting better numbers in television and so the ad dollars are starting to go to those independent producers make make no mistake about it so you need to be like i said your own set designer you got to be everything in one gotcha um it used to be the entertainment was a cruise ship and you wanted a ticket on the cruise ship now you got to buy yourself a speedboat. You know, you got to be able to change and adapt and churn things out. Things move very quick. Now you can't sit there and work on a script and write a show. That's what these fucking dumb people who are 40 years old and they, they, you know, they're sniffing the ass of some producer in Hollywood. They sit there, they have a hundred meetings. They rewrite the show with a hundred opinions. By the time it comes out, Andrew Schultz has already done that thing a hundred times everyone has done it already every joke you hear on snl has been tweeted that's why this doesn't work anymore that's why it's dead and they just won't give up and i'll tell you what i tell you how i know entertainment the traditional entertainment is dead i used to work in the nightclub business when a club goes out of business like right when it's going out of business what they do is to get their last cash grab before the community board shuts them down or or they just run out they'll do ethnic themed nights they'll do you know they'll They'll do a Latin night. They'll do a hip hop night. Uh -huh. when, when, a, when a club has in New York City has lost its cool factor, that's what they do right before they shut down. It's a last cash grab, desperate move to guilt you. Uh, wokeness is like, OK, we're woke. So you, if, if you don't watch us, uh, you're 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 evil. So that's oh. another marketing ploy to get you to watch because that's all they got, because all the eyeball, all the organic eyeballs are truly online. And all the demographics that uh, entertain that that um, advertisers care about and companies care about, especially that's the most important thing. Those demographics are certainly online. So as a comedian, you have to adapt to that now and get your team together. You got to have a team and you're the CEO of that team and you got to learn how to be a CEO real quick, which doesn't come easy to a comic. Um, but you have to do it. And you're you're the captain of your own speedboat and fucking make sure there's gas in that thing and go. Yeah, because we've been I've been doing this podcast for over five years. We've done over 300 interviews with comedians. And but it seems like I don't it's it feels like it's like comedy fans listen. But it seems like most comics now are like they're being funny on a podcast. Like I'm not necessarily funny on here. I'm interviewing comedians and learning from them. But it, it, I don't know if the numbers are reflecting the quality being put out there. Like, do you recommend I'm coming to you for help, Giannis. I've been doing this 11 years. I know it's patience. I know you've been in We could have just done this on a Zoom call. Yeah, but we get to stream it, and now it's content. Right. But, it, yeah, I was just trying to think of, like, if I need to start my own, and just where I'm just funny and showing my own personality, or if it's 
just continue on this and just keep seeing it all the way through and being patient, you know? Um, that's something you can answer. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, Mark Barron's not funny on his, his was an interview show too. Joe Rogan's not funny on his for the most part. And, uh, that works. It's, you got to figure it out. That's the thing. I mean, I did a bunch of podcasts that failed. I've done more podcasts that have failed than the ones that are working. So, uh, the one with Chris, yeah. History hyenas was the first one to work, but, uh, you know, I know you only need one to work. So if you want to try something else, maybe go for it. I mean, I did one with Justin Silver about dogs that sucked. I did one with James Mattern that sucked. I did a solo one before when I was living in Miami doing that fusion show that sucked. Um, am I missing any? I think that's it. So I, I've done a couple yeah. of failed ones. Yeah. Just keep. Yeah. I mean, just keep going at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. History of Hyenas is one. We're all like, what? Where'd they go? Like, we miss you. Yeah. It's uh, that's, that's one of those things that. Uh, you know, it, it had a great run and it's a classic. And uh, now now people can watch my podcast long days. And Chris has, you know, Chrissy Chaos. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, it just three years we had, a, you know, shows come to an end. So that well, that one came to an end. How do you bounce back? And I'm not saying the show didn't bomb, but like in the in the psych, the psychological roller coaster of stand up comedy, like how. How have you been able to navigate that? Because no one's immune to like the highs and lows. How do you deal with those lows and bouncing back? Man, they're hard. It's hard. It's only something comics really understand, especially if you're sensitive. There's only two types of comics I've met, which is like sociopaths, like psychopaths, like they're born cognitive. They don't have any feelings. And um, they do, do deal with that. They deal with that well. They deal with it better um, like they do in every field. That's they rise. To the, usually they rise to the top of every business because they just are unencumbered by feelings. It's a real advantage. <laughs> and then the other type of comic is overly sensitive um, and wants the love and approval and stuff like those are the only two types I've met. Um, and I think that's the only two types that there are. Mm. Um, I'm the latter. Um, and if I was the former, I'd be lying and say I was the latter anyway. Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> That's the modus operandi. But it's very difficult and only other comics get. You know, I think the best thing to always remember is you're not as good as your best set you're not as bad as your worst. So don't get too excited when you kill, you know, have some humility about it. Cause you know, you've had the bad ones. And when you bomb, remember that you've had the good ones. So you're not as bad as that either. It's just, that's how you try to stay even kill. You want to be more like Jerry Rice and less like Odell Beckham Jr. Mm -hmm. Odell Beckham Jr. Treats every catch. Like he won the Super Bowl. You don't want to do that. Jerry Rice treats every catch. Like it's just another catch. And until the scoreboard says win, it doesn't matter. And so that's what you want to, uh, that's what you want to emulate. Yeah. And just keep chopping wood, stay consistent, keep chopping wood. Nobody better at, uh, to look at for that than Mark Norman, just a worker, just he's, he goes in, he's a great example of someone who just consistently hits the speed bag. Yep. For sure. And it's funny. I think a lot of times young comics are like, Oh, well, I'll just get famous on the internet before I even understand how to be funny. It's like some people are trying to put the, the funny before the fame nowadays. Well, the hey, I wouldn't recommend fame. that either. Whatever works for you. If you can yeah. put the fame before the funny, do that too. Yeah. <laughs> and something you'll you, figure out the funny you did with your uh, characters. I mean, you've you developed so many great characters, and that's something Trent Babb asked about a comic over in California, he's asking about your voices and act outs are so good. How do you come up with them? Um, 
God, I don't know. It, it, they kind of happen organically. Like, um, I don't know. Um, they're, they're usually an amalgamation of people. Um, it's a vibe. It's a, and then I kind of work out the story. Like for Maurice, she was actually a character I did live on stage for a while. And that's how I built her backstory. And that's probably why she hit the hardest, maybe because she was the most worked out. So there is something to that, um, you know, getting the character fully developed, what what her goal is, what her backstory is, what her psychology is, practicing it. The other ones that I've created lately, they've come up kind of organically, um, like Derek from Tallahassee. And he's sort of a, just he's a, just a, I spent a year in Florida living in Miami. And you go, you know, you go that, that, that Miami, that's a Miami guy. I mean, I'm sorry. That's a Florida guy outside of Miami or in some parts of Miami that are sort of from the old world, Miami. And, um, they're just different, man. And so it's an amalgamation of things. It's kind of thought out. It's kind of a a vibe I've experienced, obviously, you know, like they say, if you want to do what, you know, like, don't try to do what you don't know, do what's closest to you. So the Greek guy, obviously I'm Greek. Uh, Maurice is, uh, you know, Puerto Rican. I grew up around Puerto Ricans, dating Puerto Ricans. I'm from New York. It's part of the culture in New York. Uh, Derek, I lived in Miami. So do what's closest to you. Mm. you do what you know. You know imitate if it's going to be your dad, your mom, your girlfriend, their family. Don't try to do something foreign. Um, do something that's close to you. Unless you're an impressionist, then, you know, those guys just watch impressions and do it. So, yeah, I've heard you say you'll work your characters on stage and then film them. What are you doing when you're working them on stage? Working them on stage, just riff with it. Just riff with it. Riffing in that um, character. Riffing that character. Get into the psychology of that character. That's something, that is something I do. It's like when I, and I've performed Maurice many times for years live uh, for her fans. And it's like, I'm gone. Like I, every thought I'm having, obviously there's a little, there's uh, the, the Wizard of Oz is behind the curtain a little bit. But I am fully committed. Like, I'm thinking like she would think. I'm seeing, like, there's no, you can't be embarrassed. You have to give yourself over to the character. You can't say, oh, I'm embarrassed to say this or think this. Or you have to commit and be that person, you know, be what they would say, be who they are. And that's hard in today's world because, you know, unfortunately, comics now, especially if you still care about TV stuff, are constantly thinking about what you're saying which is sort of the antithesis of what funny is. So nobody becomes a comic to watch what they say. Nobody's a class clown because they said the, the right thing at the right time. What makes things funny is when you say the thing that you'd probably be most embarrassed to say, or the thing that uh, is the wrong moment that, you know, someone who's inappropriate would say. So, you know, Maurice is inappropriate. Maurice, uh, Mr. Panos is inappropriate. They're over the top characters that if you met them in real life would be like, this person's a little too extra. So you have to be willing to be extra and not feel embarrassed about it. So lose yourself in the psychology of that exaggerated character and forget your inhibitions. It seems like that'll be easier when you do that homework, like asking what makes them tick, where are they from? Getting all that context helps you to lose yourself in them more. Without a doubt. You're right about that. Without a doubt. It's, um, what, and whatever your process is, however you do that work, that's up to you. You can riff it and, and, and obviously, um, you know, lower stakes circumstances on your own podcast or at an open mic or whatever. If that's your process, thinking about it beforehand when you're just sitting around, writing it down, whatever your process is, you know, yeah, absolutely. You're right. And yeah, there's two types of comics I've come across and only two. 
those who write beforehand their jokes and those who write on stage. So whatever, if you're one of the two, you know, and, and if you're a comic, you should figure that out. You should figure that out. That's something I feel like you should get out of the way. You don't want to realize you're a guy who likes to write on stage after years. It's like, what do you feel more comfortable with? Like, you know, Mark Norman, obviously, he'll do a little crowd work pop, but all his jokes are written. Sam Morell's jokes are written. Mm-hmm. And they're both, there's not, one is not better than the other, obviously. All great comics who do both. But those are the two approaches to stand-up comedy. And you should figure out which one you are as early as you can so you can get good at it. Uh, a question CJ Wing is asking is how can you grow a solely internet-based audience without just begging your Facebook friends to watch your video? No, well, you know, that's how you start. It's like <laughs> it's like the bringer show for your Facebook videos. I mean, you know, you, <laughs> dude, I used to text every person in my phone with the links to the videos. I used to email them. Uh, I'd post them. I'd ask them to show their friends. You got to uh, you got to knock door to door virtually. You know, there's no way he's he's he, his question was upon him. He answered his own question. You ha- there is no way. You have to do that. Wow. And it, do you think it's like when it comes to the format of content and podcast specifically, like that? so many comics are just on there ranting. Like, it seems like if a comic's hearing this and is like, Oh, what should my podcast be? It seems like there should be thought put into like the format. Why am I doing the show? Who is it for type deal? And not just, Oh, I'm silly. I'll just go and riff. Yeah. I mean, the more you can pick a theme or a niche now, uh, you know, the entertainment business has exploded into a million pieces and we're all kind of like touring bands and everyone mistakes their piece for the whole, but it's not. There's only like four famous people left in the planet. It's like Matt Damon, Matthew McConaughey, George Clooney, and like Leonardo DiCaprio and like, you know, Denzel Washington and a few others. Everyone else has their fan base and it's even going to get more fractured. So think of yourself as a touring band. What What's the niche? You know, there's so many podcasts. So if you're just going to riff a podcast, two dudes riffing, you better be as funny as me and Chris were. You know what I'm saying? Like, and even we had a theme. And I know that sounds cocky, but we were funny. No, you guys, um, oh, killed it. The chemistry yeah. was crazy. Yeah. So it's like you, and even we had a theme and uh, a niche and like, but we were, I mean, you know, make, make, make no mistake. We were a comedy podcast. So it was like, we kind of hung our hat on the historical theme that we liked learning about. But if you're going to do straight funny, make sure you're fucking funny. But Otherwise, you're right. Think about it beforehand. The Are You Garbage guys are a great example. They got a nice show idea. So nowadays, whatever your show idea is, don't go pitch it. Go do it. If it's a sit, if it's a sh- it doesn't have to be a podcast. Do a web series. You want to do a half hour show. Fucking do it. You know, do it. Just get the guy, get the shooters, write it yourself. You don't need a budget. You can shoot this shit. You know, when I used to shoot sketches, we would just rewrite it according to how we could shoot it. So whatever it is, do it. And then if you want to pitch it somewhere, show that. Don't go in with the idea. Just do it, man. Do it yourself. And you're absolutely right. Try to do a little preconceived work about what is the show. Boom. Um, Chris James asks, stand-up is susceptible to the pandemic. Clubhouse's hype has come and gone. Tim Dillon says podcasting is already dying. What's the next frontier in comedy? 
me and Tim talk about this all the time. Podcasts, podcasts won't die because it's additive entertainment and um, it's the appropriate, it's the appropriate, um, it's the appropriate format for the technology and the time, the zeitgeist. People like to add in their entertainment to what they're already doing because there's so many options that nobody's just going to sit down at eight o'clock to watch destination TV. They want to bring you to the gym. People don't want to be bored for even one second. So Mm -hmm. even when they're on the toilet, they want something to watch. I mean, try going to take a shit without your phone. You'll have a panic attack. So (laughs) that's what the podcast is. That's what your Instagram clips are. They're going nowhere. The Tim Dillon show is going nowhere. What's going somewhere is the Jimmy Fallon show. That's done. (laughs) That is over. And you can fucking sign and deliver that. Tim Dillon show is only on the rise. And the reason why he's probably saying that is because he wants less competition because he's a shrewd, shrewd, smart kid from Long Island. Um, A lot of podcasts will disappear, but there's only a few podcasts that are really successful. So, um, you know, don't let that discourage you from starting a podcast and don't listen to shrewd people like Tim who are trying to discourage you so they have less competition. People want to know why the hyenas broke up. It's because Tim was behind it to kill us. So he didn't have to share fans with us anymore. The truth comes out. (laughs) Um, This one comes from Mark Pumpkin. But Uh, yeah, Clubhouse is done. You think Clubhouse is done? What makes you say that? Yeah. Well, because I think it's like it was a quick pandemic thing and it's uh, Instagram. It's the same thing as Instagram Live, just without the video. So I think at, at the end of the day, it just kind of ran its course. People got disinterested real quick because I know that's the way I felt. So I imagine that's why their numbers are dropping, because everyone feels similar. It's just like, ah, oh, you just kind of get sick of it. You know, it's just um, listening to people talk. You can do that on Gram. You could do that. You know, it was a good it was a good pandemic uh, app. But I mean, it's 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 like it's usership has dropped off a cliff so oh, i assume I that's not that. oh yeah big time the numbers are, are bad oh did not realize that okay I, I saw i saw dang cook was poking around on there i didn't know he was mr myspace so i didn't know if he was onto something there yeah well that was probably <laughs> just his 20 year old girlfriend using his screen name <laughs> <laughs> he's still he's you know he's my generation we pop in vhs's yeah yeah he's older disc me, yeah 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 <laughs> Uh, Mark Pumpkin says, I'm four years into comedy. I'm 32, but look 25. Should I pretend I'm younger than I am, or am I a sick person? I think you should just make that a joke on, <laughs> on stage and leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the premise for an entire career. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just do it as a quick joke and then maybe get in shape or I don't know. It's one of those you do about for maybe once or twice and you're like, all right, moving on. Yeah. Um, ball zone, his, his profile picture is an actual image of Peter Griffith's ball's chin. So I can only imagine what this question is. What are the new hotspot cities that are on your radar for stand up comedy coming out of the pandemic? I mean, that's obvious, right? Austin, obviously, um, Atlanta, I think is a very underrated, uh, common town. We out here. Yeah, Atlanta. Um, um, I think those are the two. I mean, Chicago's not underrated. Everyone knows. I don't know. That'll probably come back. New York will probably come back. L.A. will come back. 
But uh, Austin, uh, Austin, Atlanta, Nashville is probably coming up. Um, depends, man. Look at these. Uh, look at uh, what these local politicians do in, on the in the coastal cities, and if they if they enact these tax breaks for people, you know, making a million combined in New York, you're going to start to see fucking comedy scenes pop up in Arkansas and all these red states where people flee to to save a dollar because you know at the end of the day, that's what really dictates uh people's politics is 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 money so if if people keep fleeing these big cities you're going to see more austins pop up and that that's what we're seeing here like at hot breath like once once the pandemic hit we just went online like i just focused solely on this podcast building the community and now there's comics around the world in our facebook group we do a daily writing club in there and like feedback mics and all these things just to help comics stay active and accountable during this time. But it is, there's like comics in like Kansas who are like, I'll start a show at the local bar. Like they're starting to see, Oh, I don't have to move to LA or New York. I can start pursuing it now. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. I think um, the one thing about the pandemic, I think that won't change for sure is that um, people have really realized how digital the economy is mm -hmm. and how you don't necessarily have to be, um, I mean, you know, in a certain place. I mean, commercial real estate is going to be changed forever, forever, ever. I mean, I don't know if some of these companies will ever use offices again because they, why would they, they can say people are just as efficient working remotely. Um, why would they have, why would they pay that high rent in Manhattan? I don't know. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's a here's an interesting one. And actually, as we're on the topic of this, of like, so for someone like me, who's 11 years in, I was like headlining. And now I'm like, what now? I mean, to get to get to the next level of my career, is it online figuring out what my voice is on here with like sketches or characters? Just starting to experiment with that. Is that really kind of like what should be next, basically? I think it's not an either or thing. I don't think it's a one pronged answer. It's um it's it's everything you know continue head the headlining continue doing stand-up uh continue this podcast if you love it if it's got a committed fan base start another one if you want uh think of think of something that speaks to your strengths do that as a series whatever it is find your strengths what makes you funny and make that into content make mm. that into content just you know and, and usually it's the thing you enjoy the most it's the thing that when you do it it doesn't feel like work. So just keep trying things until one of them doesn't feel like work. And then people will respond. Beautiful. All right. Uh, Sam asks, how do you get into storytelling without losing the audience? I myself lose interest after 30 seconds. If I can't picture the scenario, should I just be very detailed? Dude? I mean, you know, that's one of my weaknesses. Storytelling. It's mm. a weakness. I feel the same way. Uh, I'm too honest. So I don't know how to lie in a story. Like all the comedians you tell who are good storytellers. They lie. Uh, this, those things didn't happen. You know, I mean, you really think the machine happened that way? I mean, and that's not a knock. It's like, that's how you tell a good story is by embellishing or lying. So, um, that's not a talent I have. And storytelling is one of my biggest weaknesses. So I feel the same way he feels and I would like advice from somebody how to become a better storyteller as well, because it's not my strength. 
Oh, and Sam also said, shout out to you, Joel. I killed it my first open mic last week and have learned a lot from you and your guests. That's great. We're doing yeah. it. You do, you're doing the Lord's work out here. Amen. We just need to pass around a tithe. That's all we need to do. We just need to get a tithe going because we're trying to walk on water over here. It is thin. So, uh, Robin, can I be too in your face when trying to get booked for shows? What's the proper number of times to contact bookers? Should I include a reel of material? If so, how many minutes? That depends on the booker. It depends on your personality. It's all sales, man. Mirror them. If they feel annoyed, back off. Uh, you know, but sometimes you can annoy someone into giving you a spot and giving you a chance. That is a total individual. That's different for everybody. There's no, I don't think there's one blanket for sure way on how to do that. Just feel it out and do what you're good at. Some people are better at networking. Do that. Do whatever it takes. Starting your own rooms is also yep. amazing. Yep. Um, that's what I did. Um, I didn't even worry about getting booked. I just went and got, I, I went and improved my game on my own. I'm um, doing my own shows. Um, you know, find a, find a bar on a Monday or Tuesday, you know, the drill that works too. So I don't have a solid answer for that one either. Oh, and Chris James, we just got a tithe. He just gave $10 for, for our Dogecoin piggy bank. He said, this interview is amazing. Yo, we're rich. You're rich. Ten dollars. Oh, I, you're, you don't want to split that. You don't get a finder's no. fee. You, I appreciate. No, you go for honest. it. Yeah, I mean, and I don't believe in Dogecoin, so I mean, go spend that on Elon Musk's fucking <laughs> no. dreams. No, I'm gonna spend this on Wi-Fi. Don't worry about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a few more here. We had um, uh, Matt Walker asking, "Do you think it's a good idea for new comics to move to Austin?" Yeah, I do. I do think that's a very good idea. I do. It seems to be where people are congregating. Uh, obviously, companies are moving there, so there's going to be people. I assume what comes next is it becomes a tourist destination. Maybe the becomes sort of like San Francisco. You know, you look at the people who came out of San Francisco and that was the scene. Uh, you know, Ali, Louis Katz, uh, Kevin Shea. I mean, there's a bunch. It became a scene. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would. Uh, Sam Bass, it's kind of the same line. I mean, is it better to live on East Coast for doing open mics and getting started or West Coast? Uh, for, for, for getting started, I would say East Coast. I would say at least New York, the, the, at least New York it used to be New York. Um, I'm sure it's going to get right back to that because you can just, the sheer number of shows you can do in a night is unbeatable. So, mm. um, I would put my money on New York or Austin over L.A. I wouldn't start in L.A. Hell no. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what was so dope about starting in Atlanta is like, I mean, the, there's so many shows and they're so diverse. Like I could go do a strip club and then go do like a hipster bar and then like go do like a coffee shop, like all in the same night. It's just a great way to develop. Absolutely. So, yeah, Atlanta sounds like a good spot, too. Yeah, Atlanta's, Atlanta's a good spot to develop for sure. Um, Michelle asks, is it better to have a YouTube channel or your own website? YouTube channel. Yeah. I mean, you know, what can you do? Google won that game. Second, It's That's the world's where... second largest search engine. Like, yeah. YouTube is... I, I realized the power of YouTube when I saw that social media documentary 
about how they're engineered to make us addicted to it or a social dilemma. And they talked about everyone's just competing with YouTube at the end of the day. And I was like, oh, that's where it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, YouTube for sure. You can't fuck with Google. And uh, this is a goodie. Uh, Chris James, can we get Giannis's advice for handling hecklers, perhaps with an example? Um, you have to sh- you have to win. It's a cutthroat thing. Do not be nice. Be funny. Be merciless. Be brutal. Don't let them win the crowd over you. Are you done? Um, uh, don't let them speak unless you feel like they're going to hang themselves and you're confident you can, you can beat it. Um, shut them down. Don't let them know you're encouraging it. Um, hopefully you embarrass them into silence. Uh, if they do start to win, get mean, get mean. <laughs> if they start to win, meaning if the crowd is laughing at what they're saying, more than what you're saying, don't get flustered and walk off stage. If they're burning down the show, you burn it down even more because the set is done anyway. So and I don't mean, I don't mean, yeah, I just don't, don't be scared. Don't look weak. Just burn it down. Let the crowd know that the, the, it, they ruined it. Be mean, get, get meaner. Um, and, and just stay in the pocket. Do not, do not go like, oh, stutter your words and like walk off and let them win. You can't. It's a it's a real knife fight at that point. Mm-hmm. And you got to you know, you don't want to you're not playing UFC where there's rules. It's a street knife fight and you don't want them to win. And if they do burn it down because they already burnt it down by making the crowd laugh. So it's over anyway. So figure out a way to burn it down more than they burnt it down for you. So don't start mean. Just start a little conversational and speaking with them. I think Malcolm X in this situation, by any means necessary, win that. You have to, you have to win that. Now, examples, there's too many for me to think of. Um, it happens all the time. It's something comics got to deal with. And uh, you should have a bag of tricks. You should have some go-to uh, cuts, some digs. Mm. Um, and what I mean by be mean is like, don't go like personal. I'm just saying mean jokes. Like if you have some mean ones, you know, it's like, I've seen, I've seen Jim Gaffigan get mean. I've seen Gary Goldman get mean. Ooh. I've, you know, you know, you just, yeah. In fact, they get the meanest because they require the most attention and silence and orderly crowd. So, um, you can't let a heckler steal the limelight and you can't let them win. If they ruin the show by saying something funnier than you in the crowds likes it, you got no choice, but to burn the whole thing down. You know what I mean? It's like, you can't give them that house. Either it's your house or it's nobody's house. It's not going to be his house. So that's my advice. Burn it down. So if you like ended a show on a heckler, you just freak out on them and then just leave. I make the crowd go, ooh. If they get funny and say something funny um, that beats me, which has very rarely happened, I'm good with heckler. I'd say, uh, you know, some people are better at it. I'm kind of good in the fly. Train yourself to be good in the fly. Have some stock. It's good to have some stock responses if you need that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I've gotten the times that I've like gotten beaten, yeah, I just kind of, uh, 
I just kind of burned the rest of the set down. And, and just, I, in other words, I didn't go back to my jokes. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. The set is over. Like if they start getting laughs and the crowd gets behind them, keep going at them. You have the microphone, so you can always be louder. So don't go back into your set. It's over. The crowd likes them. It's a now they, the, the person has you lost. So now you have to burn it down. You have to make the crowd pay. The crowd sided with them. So fuck the crowd. Fuck them. Fuck everybody. You're leaving guns blazing and you're going out, cutting him off. Don't let him speak. When he starts speaking, you cut him off. You tell him this sucks. You tell him the room sucks. You tell him, fuck you. That's what I mean by burn it down. Like, you guys suck. You don't deserve it. Blah, blah, blah. Fuck this guy. Try to think of something mean. Do a lot because you're louder than him. One of them will hit. You know, he's speaking. They can't hear him. So you just go, you're a fucking idiot. Look at those jeans. Look at you. Look, you're probably one of those people. Don't pause. Burn it down. That's what I that's what I meant. I guess that's a I wasn't being specific on what you do. That's what you do. That's the it's, most you hyped <laughs> you've gotten in this interview is talking about hecklers. You're like you gotta yeah, kill. Yeah, because them. they fucking suck. They think they're helping the show. I mean, you know, you don't get beat by a heckler where he gets the crowd laughing and then you go, ha ha ha. Yeah, man, that was a good one. All right. Anyway, so let me get back to the material. Um, you know, no, the crowd, they don't, they're not into it anymore. Yep. He's he's emboldened and you look weak. Can't let that happen. Yeah, that's something uh, Robin said. Yes, Robin posted in our Facebook group a video of Rocky Dale Davis recently dealing with a heckler very well. If um, anybody watching this is curious about that. Um, yeah, but uh, don't start me. Start start trying to, you know, be funny. Try to yeah. be funny and deal with the funny and shut him up. Get the crowd laughing. And uh, hopefully you embarrass him into silence, which is often what happens. Yeah, because the crowd is on your side. Like, they want you to win, but if the heckler starts, then, then it becomes a game if, if, if you don't just extinguish it quickly. It can, it can escalate quickly. You want to extinguish it quickly. It is a threat. It is yep. a threat to your show. It's a threat to everything. If they're talking and not heckling, if they're disruptive, ask to have them removed. You know, that's another thing. That's yeah. what I mean by burn it down. Like, you know, don't go, haha, that was a good one. Don't agree with the crowd if they... You know, it's like you can do like a smirk and then be like, OK, now you got to leave now because you're disruptive. Like, don't let the heckler be funnier than you at all costs. You have to be a heartless fucking stone cold killer to, to stamp out that threat. Wee. Yeah. Do you what's your opinion? Sean Lindball Lindblad said, what's your opinion on improv groups and how do you think they can help us with stand up? Um. Improv is amazing when it's good. It's rarely good. Mostly sucks. Um, but when it's good, it's amazing. Um, they can teach you how to think on your feet more. Mm -hmm. um, uh, perform in the moment more, which is a good tool for live performance. You know, um, especially if you're good at that. So obviously that. Uh, Trent Babb said, do you have a checklist for new jokes to for each new joke to make sure it's fleshed out. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, I don't know if I'd call it a checklist, but you know, something, uh, tantamount, uh, to that. It's, um, you know, I, I have, uh, I write them down like, Oh, these are new ones. And then I really start to hammer them. And, um, the way I write is I don't do every line, but I will have parts of the joke that signify the beginning, middle and end. And so my whole goal with the joke is to know the beginning, middle and end. So um, 
I'll have the premise first, then it'll start to form. And then it's fully cooked when it has a middle and it has a big pop at the end. I want, you know, you, you don't want it to like die like that. I want that last laugh of the joke to be the biggest. That's the goal. So sometimes it's like maybe in the middle or the beginning and you have to figure out how to work towards that laugh instead of starting there. Absolutely. You couldn't have said it better. Yeah. Like sometimes the first time I tell it, the big laugh will be at the beginning and that's the goal going like, Oh, okay. Now I got to figure out what the joke is to put that laugh at the end of the joke. Oh, okay. Totally. Are you more like writing on stage or do you pin to paper? All, all on stage, all on stage. I'll go with an idea that either hits me while I'm up there or I've thought of before and I will completely write it on stage conversationally and um, I will work it out and punch it up on stage um, and or off in my head and then put it on stage. So all the writing is done on stage. And then when it's fully cooked, I'll know it. And I do have a checklist where I'll have the, you know, a, a, a couple of words that signify what the joke is. And then towards the beginning of it, I'll, I'll have when the middle forms, I'll put that in. And then the end, I'll put that in. And then that's it. And then after that, I just put the, the premise because I know it. But that's the checklist. That's how I do it. It's like I'm, I'm, my format is I'm always looking for a middle and an end. So that and, and, and I write that down and I keep track of that. And then it's fully cooked and ready to ready to come out of the oven when I get that laugh at the end. And it also paces in the middle a little bit. I want a few laughs in the middle. I want a laugh to get into it. And I want the biggest laugh at the end. Do you have an example that you could like walk us through? Yeah, like uh, I'll take any joke uh, that I have. Like, um, you know, I'll take, uh, okay, like uh, this, um, this divorce joke I used to have just because the first one I thought of um, or, or the soccer joke. Um, so it's like uh, I'd start with like the premise, this old soccer joke I have. Like, you know, I tried to like soccer. I did. You know, it's just nobody scores. Um you know, Americans, we like scoring. It's like the most thing that the most that'll happen in soccer is every 10 minutes, there'll almost be a goal. So I get a little laugh at the beginning, like saying like soccer sucks. Right. So some people will laugh, whatever. I'll riff that part or something, whatever feeling, whatever the show is. Um, nobody scores. Americans like scoring some passion there. And then I will go, uh, you know, then I'll get, uh, you know, the only uh, hap- what will happen. The only thing that happens every 10 minutes, there will almost be a goal. Someone almost scores, right? Set up right there. That's why soccer fans are so violent. That's why they're soccer hooligans, because they never get a chance to celebrate at the game. So they're all pent up and frustrated. And then they leave the match and punch each other in the face because they just had gold blue balls for two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. Boom. Then I'm getting a laugh there. Then I go, the only thing that'll make soccer fun is if there was a blind guy on the sidelines with a gun and he was just randomly firing onto the field. Boom, boom, boom. So laugh there. And then I go into the crescendo. Then I go, you know, Europeans, they hate when you criticize soccer, you know, and then I'll do an impersonation of a Swedish guy, a German guy. You don't like soccer because you're American and you're not good at it, whatever. And then I go, really, Magnus, you know how lucky you are, American athletes, do not find like soccer. And this is the last chunk, the biggest laughs. Um, do you know what would happen if black Americans started playing soccer? Can you imagine, like, you know, our athletes, there would be no World Cup, you know? And then I go, can you imagine? Okay, it's the first game. First Italy, here comes Guido, here passes it to Luigi, Luigi back to Guido, but oh my God, here comes Ladamelian Tomlinson, <laughs> you know, he's juggling six soccer balls, he passes it to LeBron James, 
who kicks a goal into another soccer stadium in another country <laughs> to win four games at the same time. And at that point, it's like, it's laughter, it's laughter. And that's the, you know, it's all the same premise. And I found each little bits of that until it was all plugged in. Obviously, I can't put the act out in the middle. I can't put that whole black, imagine if black kids love soccer like they do, you know, you know what the premise is. I can't put that in the middle because it has a big act out to it. It, ha- it has a crescendo of laughs. So I feel a couple pacing, a couple of pacing punches with a blind guy on the sidelines, the, uh, you know, the uh, gold blue balls in the middle, and then the little chuckles and premise up top. And there's the joke, man. And when I started that, I probably started with, um, I started with, and I remember actually, I started with the line in my head going, I know why soccer fans are so violent because nobody scores. So they're frustrated. So that's how that joke started. Okay. So that was the only laugh I had. And I was like, all right. And so that light, that laugh ended up being in the middle and it's a big laugh. Um, And then the bigger I found were the bigger ones at the end and it turned into a bit. And I pushed that one farther back, developed it and then found like a real nice Christian, you know, ending for it. And I used to close on that joke actually for a while because it used to, it used to hit so big towards the end. And you, you perform it on stage and then like record it and review it. I should record it. It would make it quicker probably, but I don't. Cause I hate memory. listening. I just memory. Yeah. I, it, recording. It's great though. Cause you, you, I just can't stand to hear myself. Uh, and I don't have the patience to sit through the show again. So uh, I forget a lot of shit. It takes a lot longer, but I do recommend recording it. Yeah. Put your, especially with technology now, with your iPhone or your, just record it. Listen to it later for sure. I know Louis does that. I know a lot of guys who write on stage do that. You know, Louis writes on stage, I believe, and it's like it. it it's just it's great to do it that way. Oh, and Sam Bass gave us a dollar for that. Look at that, eleven dollars. We rolling, shouty. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> maybe just two dosmas here, real quick. John Molehill, what do you think? Of it's all been done before. There's nothing new under the sun mentality. I can't argue that. Um, You know, it's like, uh, it's a finite universe. Um, There's only a certain amount of chords in music. It's all about um, your experience, I think, is big right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And that doesn't go to say it's got to be all stories about your life. But, you know, there's only a certain amount of premises. Yes, you just have to find what your melody is for that premise. You know, you can't steal premises. Um, you can steal jokes. So nobody can say, Hey man, I, you know, you told a divorce joke. So does Louie. That's not how it works. You know, because there's only a certain amount of fucking things in this limited life that we live. The human experience is a finite one. So um, you got to find your melody, your rhythm, your delivery, all those things. You're snow, you're a snowflake. And find out what that is. And that's what makes you funny. And your perspective on those things that have been done are original and new at this point. And Erica Switzer, when did you trust yourself enough to start writing on stage? Good question. Um, I had a show at bar, a call at bar four in Brooklyn and Park Slope. That was like, that was like my lab and it became a pretty popular show in Brooklyn. A lot of people would go, you know, Hannibal, uh, Ali Wong, Soder, Nate, 
I mean, they were there like almost every week. I mean, uh, Che, uh, everybody. I mean, there's so many people would come through and rock that. Norman was there probably the most. And um, that's where I really started trusting myself because it was my show. I hosted it. I did a lot of time. And that's where I got comfortable kind of writing on stage. So I would say probably around, uh, you know, between 2000 and uh, 10, 12, somewhere around there, probably about eight years ago, nine years ago is where I started to get comfortable. I don't know if I'm fully comfortable because it's a tight rope walk every time, wow. you know, you're going to bomb most of the time, you know, you, until you get it right, but you just have to be confident and lead the crowd. And, um, that's, 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 uh, I, I could lose that if I'm off stage for a while. So it's like, that's all about having your chops under you and just like a, uh, being in shape, just like an athlete, just, you know, just training again, being up doing spots. And that's where your confidence comes because it's familiar up there. Your, your mind is ready for it. You feel sharp. You're in shape. Your mind's in shape. You know, after the pandemic, I mean, I did one weekend at Stress Factory in October. I hadn't been on stage at that point since what, March, right? So it was like March, April, May, June, July, September, seven months. I was nervous like I had was when I first started doing comedy. And it's insane. There were people talking to me in the green room and I just wanted them out of the green room (laughs) because I couldn't even listen to them because I was so scared and trying to think what I was going to do. And it was the whole weekend, every show I was scared out of my mind. So there you have it. Oh, yeah, I did. I did. a Last year, I did one college because I was just like, this just pays too much for me to like, I'll get COVID for this gig, basically. And. Like the whole five hour drive there, I like have a set list. I'm rehearsing it for like five hours. Just like this is my first time again. It was really scary. Yeah. Did um, we talked about you quitting comedy? Robin's asked about quitting comedy. What pulled you out of wanting to quit comedy in those moments? Um. Yeah, Donnell really. Um, Donnell Rawlings. Um. Oh, yeah, you I opened for him. Yeah, I opened for them on the Chappelle Show tour. Him and. Charlie Murphy, Bill Burr, and then Christian Finnegan replaced Bill Burr. I do five minutes and sell his posters, and and he let me go up in his room. Donnell saw, he told me I was funny, even though I was not doing well. So that's something comics can see. Now, you know, that's where these bookers all stink. I mean, people talk about, I hate to say this, but like, I like bookers who are like humble and know that their job is to book the talent. You know, Bernie Brillstein has an old expression, the, the legendary manager agent. He goes, the reason why I was so good is because I always had the best talent. It's it's show business, not business show. So there are no legendary anything except comics. What makes you a legendary booker or whatever is that you get the best comics. So no booker would be able to tell a comic they were good before they were. It just that's just what they you know, you know how many stories I've heard from good comics that didn't get passed at certain clubs and what those bookers said to them. I mean, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I, I, you know, and, and people are like, oh, that legendary booker. I'm like, look at who they didn't pass and look at who they did pass. Are you fucking kidding me? No comic would do that. No comic would ever do that unless they were friends with that person or they were fucking them and they felt guilty. Okay. Mm-hmm. Comics put funny people on and they know who funny, who are, who are, who funny are, who the funny ones are and who aren't because they do it. It's game knows game. It's like the best coaches are you for the most part have played at some point on some level. So, um, Donnell saw that in me, even when I was horrible, I mean, I would go in his room and bomb, but uh, he told me I was funny and something about someone who was so funny. And Donnell is so funny telling me that I was funny. 
um, gave me the confidence to start again. And, you know, I was like, that point I'm like 30. So I was like, wow. you know, so I, that, that I was doing comedy once a week and, um, it was really, he pulled me in, he took me on the road. He let me get up every week. And I started to develop a love from that. Then from there, Dustin Chafman, I give him a lot of credit. He started putting me up in his room, uh, which was like a weekend night up at Broadway comedy club. And then I started doing these Aaron Haber rooms and where he would have all these barkers on and there'd be like one, I had one credit at the time when that mattered. I was on VH1's best week ever originally <laughs> a few episodes. So he would put me on and they were like eight minute sets. I mean, God, it was a grind. And then I would do bar rooms and then I started my own rooms. Starting my own rooms was the best for the development. But um, it was really Donnell that, that pulled me back into it. And uh, I, I always give him credit for that. Yeah, that's what Hot Breath has become. The community is like a supportive and positive environment to just like develop as a comedian. Because like when I started, I was alone and confused. It was very competitive and negative. So it's like if there, if comics can just not have to worry about that aspect and just focus on getting good, comedy will just be better for it, you know? Oh, and, and that's, a, that's a real positive about this era. It used to be guys were competing for a few sets, a few, a few half hours, a few late night sets. So it was very competitive. And that's the way it used to be. Guys used to fucking, you know, be negative and beat each other up to keep their chops sharp. It was a real fucking knife fight. It's to it's totally not that anymore, man. And it is there's room for everybody. Uh, comics can lift each other up. You go on my podcast. I go on yours. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's people. It's not a, a zero sum game. Sense of humors are different. Some people may like you. They may like your friend more. Um, but th those fans of your friend will learn about you and vice versa. And eventually, uh, although our egos don't want to admit it, people can only hear you so much. So it, it actually helps to be able to tell people, hey, go listen to these people, too, because they'll come back to you once they get sick of those people, too. Yep. So it actually elongates your career. Um, because it keeps you fresh. There's like an ever rotating group of people checking a bunch of you guys out and it make everyone wins. So it's, it's like, I hate that fucking old school mentality. I hated it when it was necessary because I'm the sensitive type. Although I do understand it was necessary because it was more competitive then, but I, that's why I embrace this era so much. It's like, nobody's a threat to you, man. You yeah. other comics can only help you and you can only help other comics. Amen. Well, Giannis, thank you so much for doing this, man. Um, we, we always end these with two things. One, your favorite comedy advice you've ever gotten. And if you could look into the camera and say your name and why people should listen to hot breath. Okay. First, people should listen to Hot Breath because it is a how-to, a masterclass from comedians who are masters, myself not included, talking about the craft. So whatever field you're in, even if you're not a comedian, you're watching the process of how you get good at something that obviously draws many parallels in many fields. Giannis Pappas, thank you, my friend. And my name is Giannis Pappas. And the other thing was what? Oh, the sound piece of comedy advice was actually from Donnell. And I'll tell the quick story. Um, this was when Chappelle's show was like the greatest thing on the planet. And it was, I mean, you couldn't imagine how big it was. You guys know it was massive. And Neil Brennan 
came to his room, Donnell's, and I was on the show. And I just put way too much into it, right? Because of how big Chappelle she was. It's like, oh my God, in my mind, I'm like, Neil Brennan's here. Um, I got to do really good. And then I went up and just bombed, right? And I was like, afterwards, I was like, Donnell was like, asked me why I was so down, whatever. I was like, I bombed. And I was like, you know, I was thinking about Neil Brennan and like, I wanted to do good. And Donnell said the thing to me, I'll never forget. He goes, he goes, ah, son, he goes, son, because he says everything. Yo, son, what's up, son? He goes, yo, son, you thinking about all the wrong things. And that stuck with me. I was like, oh, yeah. All I got to think about is having a good time and being funny. And that's it. Everything else falls into place. But never think about who's in the crowd. Never think. Just have fun. I was, I was con- the reason why I bombed is I, I was thinking about the wrong things. Mm. And that carries over into all the aspects of this game. Be funny, man. It's show business, business show. If you are funny, if you get good, everything else will present itself to you. Even if that's you figuring out what your show is, what your internet shit is, fucking be funny, man, and have fun doing it. Well, there it is. Hot breath of verse. Go forth. Take. Oh, notes. here's another hot tip. Ooh. Don't sexually harass anybody because that'll end your career quick. Ooh, amen. That's what happened to History of Hyenas, y'all. You know, they had to cancel Chris real quick. Giannis <laughs> is separating. Well, where, where can they listen to your new podcast and support everything you got going on, Giannis? Uh, long Days. Um, you can find that on YouTube. You can find it on all the audio podcasts. Long Days with Giannis Pappas. Check it out. Awesome. Well, Giannis Pappas, this has been amazing. Hot Breath of Verse. We've done it again. Yo, I mean, this is the dopest comedy interview podcast in the world, and people will find out eventually. So thank you for knowing about it right now, Hot Brethren and Sistren, and we will see you on the next one. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a good day. There you have it, Hot Brethren and Sistren, another dope Hot Breath podcast in the books. If you found this episode helpful, don't keep this show a secret. Right now, we are comedy's best kept secret, and it's time to change that. If you learned something in this podcast, go share it with someone you know that loves comedy or that is an aspiring comedian, and let's all level up together. And if you do want to take your comedy to the next level, our comedian incubator, Hot Breath Pro, is the easiest and fastest way to do that. With all the educational resources, weekly Q&As with me, paid joke writing contests, and so much more. So go into the description of this episode and click Join Hot Breath Pro to learn more. And feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions at all on social media at Joel Byers Comedy. I am a comedian that loves helping comedians. So let's just all get better together, my friends. But it's now time to get back to your comedy grind. So until next Monday, right here on Hot Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.